You're listening to Nick Luck Daily. This edition is brought to you by Fitzdares, by the Racehorse Owners Association, and by Thoroughbred Racing Commentaries Global Rankings. Hi there, welcome to the show, Friday, March the 4th. I'm coming to you from Miami this morning, where I've flown out to be a part of the NBC broadcast for a coast-to-coast extravaganza on Saturday, which has been rebranded the first Saturday in March, featuring uh, 15 stakes races across Santa Anita and Gulfstream Park, at the Fountain of Youth Stakes, the Key Kentucky Derby Trial uh, at Gulfstream, and the San Felipe is on the undercard, the big cap undercard, at Santa Anita Park and we'll be touching a little on some of that as I go around the world with James Willoughby later on and we discuss the fallout from the Saudi Cup, some of the jockeys that are moving up, down, trainers, sires and all sorts. So that's much later but I am tuned in as I can be to what's going on at home and I'm certainly tuned in to any market moves as regards the Cheltenham Festival and what got you jittery last night was that Enegumen was very uneasy on the exchange, on the Betfair exchange, was shifting right out, almost a double-figure odds at one point before contracting somewhat. Still a much bigger price than he has been at any stage in the run-up to the Queen Mother Champion Chase, where, of course, he is set to renew rivalry with Shishkin. That was the race of the season, the race of the decade, race of the millennium, whatever. The the rivalry might not be on if he's not going to run, and I need to figure out whether he's going to. So I put in a call just a few moments ago to owner Tony Bloom's racing manager, Sean Graham, and I asked him what was up with Inergumen and where they were at now. Um, well, Nick, about five, six days ago, the horse had a stone bruise, and um, he was slightly lean, but with these things, you just need to give it a couple of days. Um, Shoes were taken off his, his front feet. We give him an easy two days. Put the shoes back on him. And he cantered on Tuesday morning. And he was signed on Wednesday. And he did another canter yesterday morning. And he was signed after as well. So it was just a little niggle that he, that he got. And um, it's just one of those things. These things happen with the horses. And you've, you've got to expect it. And um, as far as I'm concerned now, having spoken to Willie yesterday... The horse is signed, and he, he's going to be aimed for the championship on Wednesday. Because there was a there was a theory that you know one of the reasons why he might be drifting on the exchange was because you might be thinking about about the Ryanair in preference to the Champion Chase. Can you can you say that's not the case? If he's if he's hale and hearty and he's sound, he'll go for the Queen Mother. Yeah, well, that that is the plan. That's always been the plan, and the only reason why he'd be left and he is he will be left in the Ryanair, but the only reason he'd be left in the Ryanair was if something happened untoward before that would stop him running in the, in the, in the champion chairs. Okay, so it's, just, it's simply an insurance policy. I know you're not object. I know you're not objective because you're obviously you know fond of the horse and you've seen him do what he's done. But are you are you a little bit surprised about uh, the, the, the sort of vibes uh, coming out of Ireland at the moment? Is that he might not even be the number one contender in his own yard for the champion chase? I, I think that's I think that's down to, to to different people's opinion, and obviously the people closer to the horses in the yard might feel that Inergamen had everything in his favour at Ascot and couldn't beat Shishkin. So let's you know let Shakin 
maybe Paul might side with Shackland because of it. But you've also got to remember that Shackland versus Wild was an odds-on favourite for the championships last year. And, um, you know, it might be very... And the way he won at Leopard Town at Christmas, it might be very hard for Paul to get off of. So we... Look, at the end of the day, there's been no decision on who rides the horse. And that, again, that would be something that would be maybe next weekend, the weekend, three days before the races, is when Paul would probably have to make his decision. And, and is it something that, that Tony Bloom is, is pretty relaxed about? Is he quite inclined just to say, right, whatever happens, happens? He's, is, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know him like you do, but he doesn't strike me as a sort of stamp-your-feet type owner. No, Tony, Tony's extremely relaxed. He lets me get on with dealing with the trainers. He likes being kept up to date, but like everything... Um, he realises that in horse racing, for every one good day you have, you've probably got ten bad days. And and he, we've had you know we've had we've had very good days with horses. This time last year, I had to ring Tony and tell him look, um, you know, going to two days before Cheltenham was going to miss the Arco, and disappointments like that they can happen all the time. But hopefully this year we'll get there in one piece. Sean Graham, their racing manager, to Enegumen's owner Tony Bloom. Maddie Playle from the Racing Post was listening to that. Maddie, are you suitably reassured? I suppose it depends what, what sort of person you are, Nick, and, and how big a fan of an ergamine you are. Um, you know, it's inevitable there's always going to be um, changes at this time of year, you know, last minute, um, horses removed from races, injuries, etc. Um, but it's good to know that he's still on track um, because I think that that's something that we've been missing from racing in the last couple of seasons is these sort of enduring duels. Um, and although everyone seems to think Shishkin is definitely going to get the better of him again. The market, even after the Clarence House, was quite markedly in Shishkin's favour, interestingly. Um, we need to see these sort of narratives go on throughout the season. So, yeah, of course I'm delighted he's, he's back on track. He's always been a, a horse that I've had a lot of admiration for. Yeah, it's quite interesting. The, the, fact, the fact that the drift took place last night, and it, it, if you're going by what Sean said, actually by last night the horse was fine he'd been ridden and was was 100% sound and in fact the issues the jitters were earlier in the week when he had a stone bruise and 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 he was lame so i i guess it shows that it, the, the chinese whispers take a little while to do the to do the circulating unlike with the allegory davasi situation where clearly somebody on the inside knew uh when when we didn't yeah and i think that's that's an important point to make um about timing because it's not nice when there's something sinister about these moves. You know, no one should be profiting off inside information if they're in a privileged position. And that really doesn't reflect well. Um, but I think it's, it's, a, it's a nervous moment for everyone in the, in the weeks coming up to the Cheltenham Festival and, you know, whoever you're supporting, whoever you've put your money behind. Um, and sometimes it, it pays not to listen to these jitters and, and these rumours. Um, and other times, of course, they do tend to pay off and be and be quite informative and and show you the way as such. But you've got to sort of take these these things with a pinch of salt until they're proven one way or another. I find. But that was it was quite enlightening anyway uh, from from Sean over what's happened to an Eggerman in the last week. So Gerhard, it's hardening up at the head of the Supreme Novices Hurdle Market. Is that the way you want him to go? Uh, I was a big Dice Art Dynamo fan. Um, and I want that horse to run in the Supreme, so oh, no. So, so no, yeah. Or, <laughs> or you not. do want them to, and then you can, if they both run, you can just get a bigger price about Dysart Dynamo again. <laughs> I'm not sure they both will run, uh, if that's the plan. But I, I find this a really interesting move, and I find Sir Gerhard 
Um, quite a captivating horse, actually, obviously, won the champion bumper last year. He's now outright favourite for the Supreme at two to one. And if he were to uh, win the Supreme, him and Appreciate It would have both won as seven-year-olds. So relatively late, um, you know, that means they're running in open hurdles or novice chases by the time they're eight, open company at nine. Um, you know, it, it, considering a horse like Sizing John was winning the Gold Cup as a seven-year-old, Albion Photo won his first Gold Cup as a seven-year-old, um, and these horses are just winning the Supreme. I think it represents how sort of this pattern of, of running horses in bumpers, novice hurdles, open hurdles, novice it, it takes a while for the good horses to be seen in open company, and I find that quite disappointing. Um, but on Sir Gerhard, didn't think his jumping at the Dublin Racing Festival was great, but of course there is scope there for improvement. I was a big doubter of Appreciate It this time last year, and he took a £15 jump up in Racing Post ratings from the Dublin Racing Festival to the Supreme. So if Sir Gerhard um, does the same, then of course he'll be very hard to beat. And crucially, those vibes clearly seem to suggest he's capable of it. Um, they're actually both on the same Racing Post rating from Leopardstown. So do not underestimate this horse. And he clearly has a lot more to come. Of course, the two horses that are going to be most um, strikingly against him if he does run in the Supreme are both trained by Nicky Henderson and they are Constitution Hill and John Bonn. If one of them can blow by Sir Gerhard, you know they are a serious horse. Um, interestingly, Henderson runs an old champion hurdler tomorrow, Maddie. Boo Verdere is back. Remember him? He's only 11. I do. <laughs> yes. Um, and it's great to see him back. You know, as an 11-year-old, he's probably not going to be the force of old, but he is still a dual champion hurdle winner. We don't see many of those. Um, and in his pomp, he was a very, very classy horse and still ran a very good race when we last saw him, went fourth at Aintree in last year's Aintree hurdle behind Abacadabras. Um, this is surely going to be a pipe opener for Punchestown or somewhere else. The Aintree hurdle, I think, is the main aim. Um, but yeah, wonderful to see him back and uh, hopefully he can give a bold showing. Paul Nichols' annual uh, pre-chat on press day yesterday and yeah, Brave Man's game, obviously, his, his team captain. I, I You find it a little bit deflating that uh, a man of his standing n- nominated a, a runner in the Hunter Chase as one of his one of his leading fancies, much as I would absolutely love David Maxwell to have a winner, of course, at the meeting. Yeah, Nick, I do think it's quite um, sad to see in a way, but equally it's inevitable with the modern way in which Paul Nichols operates and that he's just maximising his potential. If he doesn't think he's got a horse that can win, then I don't think he's as concerned as perhaps one day he would have been. Um, and it's sort of representing that natural shift in much of the best produce going to Ireland. Um, Bob and Co is his horse in the uh, Fox Hunter, of course, who will be ridden by David Maxwell, who's brought so much joy um, to to the screens of of horse racing for the last couple of seasons. Um, And this is a race that Nichols has done very, very well in. Um, He's often supporting the sort of Corinthian riders, as we like to say, um, and he's had an awful lot of success in it. But I, I see where you're coming from, but I think some of the almost outrage of of his lack of entries if you like was a bit misplaced you know I think it's inevitable um with the crop of horses that he's got that if he doesn't think they're suitable then he's going to target elsewhere and maximize his chance of winning the trainers championship um I do think it's worth mentioning Napa's Hill though I think he could be a very lively one for the the Martin Pipe okay I was going to ask you will he have a winner 
And I, I mean, he's got to get past the ridiculously well handicapped uh, uh, Langer Dan, who was second in it last year. But um, but that's an interesting. You think Napa's Hill's got a shout? I definitely do. Yeah. Um, certainly with the way he was staying on in the Betfair huddle, I think he was about sixth, wasn't he? Um, he looks like he's absolutely absolutely been crying out for a step up in trip. Um, and you know, this is this is definitely that. It's going to be a very different test to running in a race like the Betfair Hurdle. Um, but I think these bumper horses, often they stay very well later on in their careers. Um, of course, he was very high class over that code, winning the listed race at uh, Aintree. Um, I think that's a, a very nice um, very nice prospect for that race. And, and Langerdan, yes, you know, he returned at Taunton and he, he finished last. Um, clearly needed that pipe opener, but it does sound like they're in a bit of a race against time with him. And I know Dan Skelton's preference is to keep his horses fresh. Um, but he wouldn't be interesting me at the at the price he is. I'd much rather take a take a chance on something else. Now I know Maddie and her team at the Racing Post are working extremely hard on all the preview material in the build up to the Cheltenham Festival. And you can stay ahead of the field for the festival and beyond with a subscription to the Racing Post Members Club. You can rely on the Post's team of award winning journalists to keep you informed throughout the biggest racing event of the year. You'll also unlock unlimited access to the Racing Post digital newspaper worth over £100 a month and a host of other exciting features. Sign up today and pay just £9.99 for your first month. And if you head to racingpost.com forward slash Nick Luck Daily for the full terms, you can find out more. Your first month of Racing Post Members Club is only £9.99. Well, there are many ways you can kind of puncture the Cheltenham chat. One of them is flying uh, several thousand miles away like I've done. The, the other is to keep an eye on what's going on on the all-weather scene at the moment. And if you've just got half an eye on it, you'll know that uh, Mick Appleby is cleaning up. The horse watchers, the ownership group, are absolutely cleaning up. Um, the driving forces behind the horse watchers are uh, my colleagues and very good friends, Martin and Chris Dixon. Martin joins me now because a horse who is um, rather appropriately named Intervention is is trying to win his fourth race in, what is it, Martin? Ten days or something today? Eight days it'll be, Nick. I think I, on 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 that point you make, I think I could do the all-weather planning for a beach in Miami, by the way, so perhaps we could do both. <laughs> You'll be able to afford a beach in Miami before too long if it carries on if it carries on at this rate. I'll come to what you guys are trying to do in a minute, but I want to talk about this horse intervention because Sir Mark Prescott, the sort of legendary planner of horses winning sequences, said that the, the, the authorities make it harder and harder to do things like this. Now, you rather ingeniously have found a few races whereby you could do it. So how have you done? It. How, how did you manage to plan it all out? Uh, well, the first point is you need a pretty well handicapped horse, and um, although there's been a little few bumps in the road through uh, interventions, all weather campaign in the last few months, um, we still felt that he was a well handicapped horse. So um, there were two apprentice riders races last week. Um, he managed to sneak in the second one, uh, being a not fifty-five. It actually divided, and it looks like a plan but we were initially weren't going to run um but about two minutes before the declarations closed there were it needed one more to go in for the race to divide at wolverhampton on the friday uh, so we put him in and that led to the race dividing essentially so you end up with two smaller field races of the same of the same contest um 
and so he could run on both days as long as Mick was happy with him. So he sneaked in there, but because both of them were apprentice riders races, um, he hasn't picked up a penalty or didn't pick up a penalty for the race that he ran in last night, which was a non-apprentice handicap. And then today he's out again. He goes to Lingfield in the 135 and he's back under one penalty, which is the same as he was last Friday um, when he won at Wolverhampton. And hopefully he can replicate that sort of performance. Our, our, our worldwide listeners will be thinking, oh my God, you're running a horse on consecutive days but it's not that uncommon in 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 the uk i mean how how careful do you have to be doing things like that yeah i think um it, ultimately that that side of things we were led very much by the trainer and in this case obviously mick appleby and mick is is happy with the horse he's happy with how he's trotted up this morning he's eating up all his food he's he's, he's a horse that's clearly just thriving on a relatively busy campaign now he will be given a bit of a break on the back of whatever happens today but as long as the train is happy and as long as the horse is performing and not showing any signs of you know needing to 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 stop um we're happy to to go ahead and and you know try and uh try and win more races with him because he seems to be enjoying himself and all of the evidence points to him really thriving off that now this was a syndicate the horse watches which was started out as basically you and you and some mates and is now sort of expanded out into something slightly more slightly more public if you were to sort of sum up in a couple of sentences what you're trying to get out of it what you're trying to achieve what what would you say uh, winners um, we want to we want to get as many winners as we can we try and buy well handicapped horses that we think are open to improvement and therefore because the horses are winning and improving it makes the whole experience not only more enjoyable but also more affordable because um, you're picking you are picking up prize money now it's very difficult obviously to uh, pay pay your training fees through prize money on on in on in British racing, given uh, the relatively low prize money, but we give it a good bash anyway, and it makes the horses certainly more affordable. Um, and along the way, we've managed to thankfully find some horses that have increased their value quite significantly as well, and, and they've moved on to pastures new uh, in the future. Some of them have done very well, despite uh, common belief. Uh, we sold a horse called Future Score to Australia a few years ago that we picked up for eight thousand pound and uh, we sold him to australia a couple of months later and he's gone and i think he's won nearly a quarter million dollars in in prize money in in australia and done done very well in fact he was set to run in the melbourne cup um last year but he he, uh i think he was scratched at the last moment so really you want your horses to do well after they've been through your hands because you want people to come back and buy more yeah, of course, absolutely. But um, the the whole idea, really, as I say, is to make it more enjoyable by having winners, more affordable by as well having winners and picking up prize money and and um, campaigning them in in the right way, I suppose. And um, yeah, over the last couple of years, we've 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 managed to do it pretty successfully. So fingers crossed that carries on. But have you got a nap for the Kim Muir? That's the important thing. <laughs> maybe not maybe not the Kim Muir I quite like one at Newbury today if you want that oh that'll so, do <laughs> uh, Icon de Brel in the 220 at Newbury I'm pretty keen on uh, on uh, Icon de Brel's chance If you're desperate to get your hands on a piece of the action at the Cheltenham Festival this year, then you still can. You could own a festival runner, even if you are not equipped with one at the moment. Mascada is going under the virtual hammer as she is the star attraction on the Thorough Bid auction platform. Uh, Bidding will open on Sunday morning and closes from around about 6 o'clock 
Sunday evening. Thoroughbreds founder Will Kinsey is with me, and in a moment I'm going to get him to talk about his own horse, Stormy Island, not to mention a horse who might yet be winning at festivals in the future. Um, but first of all, Mascada and the Thoroughbred catalogue, Will, th- this would be very interesting just to see how this goes. Yeah, certainly, Nick. I mean, we've had, this is a you know really exciting catalogue again, our biggest catalogue yet. We've got 28 lots, um, and there's a lot of interest for a lot of people. Obviously, you, you know, you said there that Mascada is the standout lot, um, primarily because she holds an entry for the Grand Annual at Cheltenham this time. Yeah, and is as I said, trained by Stuart Edmonds, who's who is pretty smart at, at getting these horses in the right races, and has had a, a festival winner before. Yeah, definitely. Look, from my point of view, you know, she's only a six-year-old. She's a hundred and thirty-five rated horse or that's her i think she's 133 at the moment but she's had a rating of 135 um she's already a listed winner um you know she went over hurdles went over fences and she's gorgeous good looking mate so you know for someone like myself if i was interested you know she's a a great future bloodstock um you know a a broodmare prospect for the future as well I mean, I'm surprised you won't be bidding yourself, given your given your successes with with Stormy Island, who is now amongst the the leading fancies for the for the mayor's hurdle. Yeah, no, that's really exciting, Nick. Obviously, she's um, actually my two co co owners were fortunate enough to be out there at Willie yesterday, giving and uh, giving me an update. And uh, yeah, all is good on that front and raring to go. Uh, do you think she can win? Of course we do. I mean, she's got course form. Um, and she seems to be in the form of her life in the last 12 months. So she's got every chance, you know, whether the, you know, she's proven on sort of decent ground and, and softer ground. So, um, you know, that the win and the rail keel on New Year's Day was, a, you know, proves that she handles the track. And I think she'd probably be suited actually to the, to the other track. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed. Do you know who's going to ride her? Well, we're hoping Danny Mullins will ride her. He's, he's, he's won on a um, uh, three out of the four times for us. So... You know, hopefully he he continues to um, keep the party. And we're just going back to the the auction this this Sunday. Mascada, the 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 most eye catching attraction. What else can you offer? Oh, as I said before, Nick. Look, there's a. I'll I'll rattle off a few quickly because there's some really exciting uh, prospects for uh, sort of owners of racehorses and broodmares. Um, with the broodmares, there's a horse called Lad Jubinez, who's a half sister to the Gordon Elliott trained and Rod Core owned Jerry Cologne, who's unbeaten in five starts. And she's involved to Brave Mansonian, who's obviously the the sire of Brave Man's game. So that's very commercial. Um, another mare called All Risk for Love, who's a no risk at all mare, and she's a half sister to Champion Hurdle prospect Tehupu, and she is involved to Jetaway. So that's you know really exciting too. Uh, Moyo Gold, she's a winning Goldwell half sister to Hollow Games, and um, and he's a Grade Three winner. Hollow Games is, and he is currently, I think, a ten to one shot for the Albert Bartley, Bartlett, and that's a, from the family of Tumbling Dice and Remittance Man. And a really, really interesting lot is fourteen-year-old Crystal Etoile, who's a half sister to no other than the champion Crystal Ocean and fellow Group One winner Hillstar. Uh, will Kinsey there of Thoroughbid, and a reminder that Mascada will go under the virtual hammer beginning Sunday morning. Well, it is Friday, so it's time for our weekly check on the global thoroughbred rankings with our friends at Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. James Willoughby is with me. And James, very few horses, if any, who've run over the last couple of weeks are are threatening the top 10. Mishrif was, but after that abject performance in the Saudi Cup last week, uh, he won't be for a little while. But that was emblematic, if you'll pardon the terrible pun, 
of the race as a whole. How on earth do we begin to unpack that? First point to make is I, I won't forgive the fun. Uh, but I'm maybe not the person to ask. I was searching back through my memory, Mark Banks, Nick, to think of a race that I'd made a bigger mess of and couldn't find one really. And really, the flaw in my thinking was to put too much weight on the nature of the surface based on too little evidence. Now, last year, Mishra's victory suggested, and there was plenty of other evidence as well, uh, that the surface was one that turf horses could adapt to. Now, you could tell that as well from the kind of physical nature of the surface there was very little kickback it, it turned out to be it, it looked much more lively than your average dirt track and very experienced people like john gosden did say this is a surface that would suit all horses now to my mind this was a very different surface that confronted the 14 runners for the 2022 saudi cup this was much not even an american dirt track like but i think a little looser than that even in terms of pace, a speed, sorry, the winners of the dirt races last week ran roughly the same kind of times, allowing for the quality of the horses, as 12 months ago. But fewer horses gave their running overall. And so the horses that took to it, particularly the local horses in the Saudi Cup, had a huge advantage over the rest. Now, unfortunately, as with the Arc de Triomphe, and I'll come on to that in a minute, which is on heavy ground, that produces surface specialists. But TRC Global Rankings can't take that into account per se. It can only do so in allowing horses who have got otherwise solid form to kind of like have an off day because we consider a distribution around a horse's best efforts. So this is a race that's got some parallels with the arc. If you remember, think back uh, to last October, Torquato Tasso came out of nothing. It was heavy ground. Why did he win? People conjectured. Well, from a rankings perspective, when a horse that's very unexpected, like Emblem Road and Torquato Tasso wins a race, the rankings react differently to conventional handicapping methods. What rankings do is say, yes, good, Emblem Road will give you some credit, and in this case, he's been rated 118 by the computer, which is well below what you'd think it would take to win an international group one like this, but still not that bad overall in the grand scheme of things. But it takes the other horses over which there was uncertainty and says, right, I'm going to drop that lot backwards. And the reason that it's doing that is so that the race makes more sense. Now, you don't do what's called overfitting, that is, you don't make the latest result, basically just like the whole ranking of the horses. You have to blend it with the past, commensurate with how solid the form of the disappointing horses had been. And now if you look back down here, we can see that in effect here. Mishrif, TRC Global Rankings, have a much lower opinion of him than the officials. He's gone 13 to 18 for his debacle. Mandaloon, who barely picked up his feet, I think he's a soft-hearted beast, Went, went only from 22 to 29 because he's got a ton of really good form and he'd seen quite progressive going into that. Sealaway, similarly, Sealaway's form had been on the up and so he drops only from 51 to 60. But the Japanese horse, T.O. Keynes, who's a difficult horse to assess because he's got very little to go on and it's a wide margin win for his best effort, he goes 81 to 113 which is a much sharper drop. Now, amongst those that dominated, Emblem Road enters at 93, the winner of the Saudi Cup. Country Grammar reappears where he was, 200. Now, his form prior to this 
had not seemed great. But Bob Baffert knows what he's doing when he targets these kind of races. And it was obvious to me that Country Drama was a better horse than uh, his form suggested. But still, the runner-up in the Dubai World Cup, only 200. And if we take the performance of those two horses, Emblem Road and Country Grammar, Alan Kerr, trained by William Haggis, who won the Group 3 Winter Derby with a lot less pre- uh, prize money, um, Ark couldn't go to the 7.4 million uh, for that race to match the Saudi Cup. But they still got a very good field. And, we, and the computer's got Alan Kerr running to the same form rating as Emblem Road, that of 118. And he now rises to World 52. He's a horse to follow because he wants further than a mile and a quarter. William Haggis has got another really good horse. And the final note, Nick, is that Midnight Bourbon, who must be one of the most frustrating horses in the world to have anything to do with because he's so good and so talented, he ran third here. But the problem with that is that in terms of rankings, he just gets beaten every single time by admittedly very solid horses. He's now running 12 group and graded races, lost all 12, and he drops, despite finishing third, from 167 to 192, which is absolutely miles below his notional capabilities. The moment he actually wins a race and proves he can do that, he'll go flying back up the rankings. But another valiant defeat from Midnight Bourbon in a race which has got to be put in the tray marked one of the turf's great mysteries. Yeah, we're going to try and salvage something from this this rankings meltdown this week, James. Uh, Alan Kerr was what was one such positive. There are several positives as regards the jockeys, trainers and sires. I wanted yeah. to ask you what's happened to Christophe Lemaire after that insane four-timer for, for Japan, which is, yeah, again, just a, a motif, really, of, of what you've been talking about for, for most of the last 18 months. Yeah, Japanese horses now occupy the two, three, and eight slots in the world. So three Japanese horses in the world top eight. Before that, that was before uh, Saturday. And we, as you say, we've always had a much higher um, opinion of Japanese form. That's because the, the margins are, co- are caused by the fast ground there. The world's best racehorse rankings need to expand their scale of points for distance beaten to make these horses as good as they really are. And the Japanese trainers are now on the up as well. Japanese uh, jockeys are increasingly getting chances, but you're quite right to point out that Christophe Lemaire, amongst many Europeans, to have dominated in the Far East. Um, he only stays at number seven. He picks up an absolute raft of ranking points, but the top of the charts now, James McDonald, Flavion Prat, who uh, flip-flops with William Buick, two and three, Joel Rosario, Frankie, Ired Ortiz, and then Christophe Lemaire. These are the superstars of the sport, and they're separated by a wide margin from everybody else. It's hard to gain ranking slots mm. as much as to gain ranking points. He stays at number seven. But a note about that amazing uh, trainer, Yoshito Yahagi, he's now up to world number 15, despite only a handful of runners, really. He, of course, is the trainer of Contrail, Lise Gracia, Loves Only You, uh, and several others. Mozu Ascot as well, good horse in, 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 in Japan. And he's a very high percentage operator. He's on the up. Final note on Japan, Lord Kanaloa, that great sprinter who dominated in Hong Kong. Uh, he's one of the world's most underrated sires for me, and he's up to world number nine, Nick, from 14. Okay, you mentioned James McDonald, uh, James, who is right at the top of our list. He's got a great chance of winning another Group 1 race this weekend in the Moston Copper Randwick Guineas at Randwick 
at 5.40 UK time Saturday morning. Um, Chris Waller's got representatives in, in big races down there. And uh, the most significant news from a rankings point of view is that Annabelle Nisham has taken Zaki out uh, of his right. intended run in the uh, Canterbury Stakes, which he was going to have his pipe opener in uh, the Canterbury over you know, six and a half furlongs. But he's not, he's not going to run there by the looks of it. It looks heavy ground. James, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the trainers because Pat Cummings, when we were talking to him about the latest episode in the Bob Baffert saga, said earlier in the week and, and pointed out that, you know, the irony is that, that Baffert's probably never been in better form, even in his highly, well, formerly garlanded career. Yeah, indeed. It, 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 no, take the controversy away from his situation and the results are, are really stand out. Uh, for Baffer, he continues to operate at a 27% strike rate. That is third in the world uh, amongst trainers with a similar sample size. And uh, Jamie Richards, of course, the New Zealand trainer, is probably dominant, much more dominant in his sphere, much more e- easier for him to be dominant than Baffert for Baffert in America and globally. So he has an amazing strike rate, Baffer, in pointing the right horses at the right races. 33 uh, grade one wins for him in the last three years. He's it's very solid at world number three, but he's closing in now on Chad Brown. He's, he's a matter of only 100 points, which is basically a good weekend. Uh, and Chad Brown is going in the opposite direction. He's trending downwards gradually. Not quite the same hegemony over turf races in the States, which was the bedrock of his success. Above both of them, of course, is Charlie Appleby. But Charlie Appleby's ranking score, of course, is based on the last campaign of his been extremely good and of course it's a bit like the golfers when they say all the snooker players like if you win a tournament kind of in their case two years ago it drops off your ranking score and so you've got to keep on Mm. performing we have a much smoother function than that we don't just drop them off but we gradually decrement them as time goes on but his results were boosted so we're looking at a case where if Baffert continues at the rate he is and we've penalized him for the Kentucky Derby We've made that change. He's, he lost 70 other ranking points for that, for the disqualification. But if he continues at this rate, we're looking at a world mm. number one. And really, that well, will separate people like Marmite, I should imagine. So, yeah, well, uh, I, I, no, no doubt. I mean, he, he, he's going to have 90 days on the sidelines by the looks of it, unless he can get that, that stay. Um, oh, yeah. But, but, but he, he's got chances to win two more grade ones this weekend at Santa Anita in the Beholder yeah. Mile and the Santa Anita, the big cap, the Santa Anita handicap. Though, uh, interestingly, the most significant point about the rankings as far as the Santa Anita handicap is concerned, James, is the presence of our old friend Stiletto Boy. Now, if he's to come and win that, <laughs> what does that do to life is good? Does that cement his position at the head of the rankings? Does that put distance between him and the others? Yeah, it does. And, and he needs it as well, life is good, because some of his form has just not worked out all that well. If you look at it, through a, with a, through a microscope, you'll see that. And of course, the latest blow to that really was just the way that the, the older and um, milers are propped up by the three-year-olds in America of last year. And the three-year-old generation last year, which we've always had a very high opinion of, has done well, but not brilliantly of late. And of course, a couple of defeats in the Saudi Cup further undermined uh, uh, their record. So it's interesting to see where life is good is going to go. He's another horse for whom recency is a big factor, isn't it? You know, his last couple of performances have been so sensational and have boosted his figures. But underneath him are horses that are creeping into contention. Baid, trained by William Haggis, just like Alain Kerr. And 
most notably in Japan, the world number two, the menacing presence mm. of Euphoria at oh, world yeah. number two, threatening him, only 19 ranking points behind. And now, if you look at the two, the, those two horses and look at their form, Euphoria's form continues to work out better and better and better. Life is good, you might argue, going in the other direction. So we will see how it all pans out and plays out, and it's going to be a fascinating situation. It is. And, and talking of life is good, he is by into mischief, also the sire of Mandaloon and many more. And he is shinning his way up the sire's pole, isn't he, with some alacrity? Yeah, he's the world number one dirt sire. We keep separate rankings because sample sizes for dirt sires are smaller than turf, and therefore there's always a lot more uncertainty. So our dirt ranking from five to one goes super saver street sense, tap it, curling and then into mischief top of there. But it's rare for a dirt horse, a dirt sire, to be able to penetrate the one, two, three slots, just because we're living through an era of deep impact, Dubawi and Galileo, three of the greatest sires of all time, I would contend. Frankel has recently added to that. But Frankel now is only six ranking points ahead of into mischief. And into mischief is pressing him, still some way to go to reach the magic three at the top there. But it shows what an outstanding stallion into mischief is. And he's been in the news for slightly negative reasons, not his fault, of course, but the fact that he's covering such a large book of mares at the moment. And that's a, a, a talking point you've covered and is, is very much in front and centre on, on the agenda in, in Bloodstock in America. But that means that he's continu- he'll continue to have a lot of representatives and he'll continue to edge his way up towards the, towards the top. And with Deep Impact and Galileo now deceased, of course, they figure to, co- to be going in the opposite direction. So is it possible a dirt side could make it to world number one? That would be very exciting, I think, for the rankings. Just show that it is possible. Thanks to James. Thanks to all my guests today. Maddie's here. She's got a tip for you. I do. I'm going to the 435 at Newbury and I'm going with a tried and tested team of Venetia Williams and Charlie Deutsch. Com Dofis has had another wind operation. Um, it's his third. It's a, a problem that's plagued him throughout his career, but he tends to travel really strongly and then cut out when that is an issue for him. But he is a really talented horse, as we saw at Southall um, last year, and I think he can get back to winning ways. He's around the four to one mark. A 10-year-old that's still light on the miles, and I think he's got something in hand of his handicap mark of 150. Maddie, thanks so much. Thank you for listening. But most importantly of all, thanks to Jake Humphrey, who invented the podcast back in 2020, and but for whom none of this would have happened. Charlotte will be back this evening with the Saturday edition. I'll see you again uh, on Tuesday, probably, because I've no idea how I'm going to do one of these on Monday. So, Tom, it's all yours. See you after the weekend. Bye. You've been listening to Nick Luck Daily, brought to you in association with Fitzdares, the Racehorse Owners Association, and Thoroughbred Racing Commentary. Mm-hmm.